This week, I, I regularly kind of check out the news, and I, I just want to put three headlines that uh, I, I saw this week uh, that I read about a little bit, and here they are. Vegas mom killed after road rage incident that had gone looking for the suspect. I don't know if you read that story at all this week. And Islamic State might be harvesting or organs. Uh, interesting headline in what's going on over in the Middle East. And then the third one there, marriage, what it, it is, why it matters, and the consequences of redefining it. Kind of an interesting article. We have to admit that when you look out in the news, look at the world, that it can leave really anyone unsettled. But if one is a follower of Christ... I think we need to be, we should be acutely aware that there is a battle that's going on. And I want to put even Ephesians 6 on the screen, just a reminder of that battle. And look how it reads, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, deep down, I, I think we know that there's evil out there and, and Satan is running wild looking to ruin people's hearts and lead them away from knowing the one and only true God. But there's a temptation because of this evil world. And the temptation is this, and it's in the form of a picture. Let me, I'll put that on the screen here. At time, This is my retirement home. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, deep down, I, I think we look and go, let's just build the fort and, and just avoid the evil that's out there. And, and I think one of those reasons for that temptation is this. We want to feel secure. Now, I understand we can't build a, a literal fort around the world out there, but there, I think we can at times put invisible walls around our lives that says, stay out. Because we know that there's people out there who are actively working against the kingdom. And they're looking to move our culture in a more godless way. So I think there's this fear of going, let's just create a safe world and avoid the world and avoid those people. And I, and I think that there's this uh, another temptation, actually, that can even go a step farther. And it really is the small view of God that I want to talk about today for a minute. And it's this. In your notes, I said it this way. We want God to judge those people, those evil people. See, deep down, we know that we really can't isolate ourselves from the evil out in the world. But we can take this subtle mindset that goes like this. God, would you just defeat and come and judge these people, wipe them off the face of the earth? And you know, that doesn't happen. So I think at times then we react and we kind of we believe that we can rally people and sometimes even change the government and everything's going to turn out okay. And I'm going to remind you, it's not. Okay? I'm a not pessimist, that's a realist today, okay? E even when you get older. Okay, I'm a bit older. We make jokes like this. Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> Don't we do that? <laughs> I I've done it. Lots of times. And why do we do that? 
Why do we say, God, bring on the end of the world? And yes, maybe we're joking a bit, but I think this is why. We want the sin in front of us to go away. We don't like the world the way it it works. And we want our lives to work smoothly. But then this, see this temptation yet, God, okay, just call down your wrath. God, would you just, would you stick to them? And, and again, I, I still think even that attitude at times is just because we want to feel secure in that. But I'd remind you that we live in a world where it is broken. And at times we don't know what to do. I remember distinctly a conversation five, six years ago of a couple of parents whose daughter had just moved into a gay lifestyle. And talk about a world that was shaking in one sense and not knowing what to do. See, see, the reality is that it's easy, though, to, to slide into this attitude that goes, worlds stay out. You know what? I'm going to become a hater of all that which is going on out there, and I just want it safe for my children and my grandchildren. So let's just avoid the world out there. But i got to tell you this, that attitude isn't new either. Matter of fact, that attitude was also back at the time when the apostles was writing this book called the Bible. I want to put 2 Corinthians 5 on the screen just for to set the context here. And this is one where Paul is writing to correct a wrong belief. And look at how it reads in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. But here's the correction. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy or the swindlers, idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. That's the, there's a correction here going. See, we can, under, we can assume that the church had misunderstood something, either in Paul's earlier communication, whatever, and that the church had begun to avoid those people in the world. But Paul comes back actually and writes this. He said, you can't ever do that. And actually what he's doing in this text, he's saying, no, don't worry about the people out there. Worry about the people inside the body that are living that same lifestyle as the world. That's, and, and matter of fact, there's a, a place here in this, I'm not going to read it, but there's a legitimacy in judging our own lives within the context of the church. And I think the tendency at times for churches is to be less concerned about the sin in the body and give more grace within the church than we do outside the church to those people. And that's why we want God to come and judge them. But if we're dealing with sin within the body, we can say, oh, grace, we want grace. But understand... This view of God wanting just to destroy these people out here, that isn't really an accurate view of God at all. There, now, there's going to be a judgment. Someday, they will be judged, and God's going to deal with their sin. Now, here's where i got to go. And i got to remind you of something here as we move forward. Something that I said the first couple weeks of this series. And, and it's this. When you look at Jesus, he represents his father. Matter of fact, he said, you want to know the father? 
look at me. And he understood the dynamics of the Trinity. So as we look to understand the heart of our Heavenly Father, we can look to Jesus, and he is one who that, we, that reveals his Father's character, his Father's, his, his, the way the Father, his Father thinks, and the way he exists even in this world. And in this context, there's this larger view of God, the Father, and even the Son that we got to look at this morning. And, and, and on the screen, I put it this way, a big view of God. That the Father, Son, and the Father, you could write that in there, that, in there, is a friend of sinners. Is a friend of sinners. See, and I said earlier, to, to kind of start it at times, we want to avoid those sinners. And, and Jesus was... His reputation was a friend of sinners. Now, as I dug into it this week, I found an interesting piece here. This idea of Jesus being a friend of sinners. There are people who don't like this idea. And even there's some Bible people out there and pastors. And I want to show you a quote from one that I came across as I was kind of digging into the meaning of this. And here's what he wrote. He says this, Jesus gladly spent time with the sinners who were open to his teaching. Jesus embraced sinners who believed in him. Jesus was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, sorry for their sins and on their way to putting their faith in him. What's he saying? He says there's kind of two classes of sinners. Those that are open to Jesus, and that's who he spent time with, but there's those other ones that Jesus didn't really love or care about. And I go, no, I don't think so it's really kind of a poor understanding of who Jesus really was. But Jesus, folks, is a friend of sinners, and that's what we want to unpack here today. But I want to give another verse that would preface it a little bit, Matthew chapter 11. And you can turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. That's where we're going to dig more this morning. But look at Matthew chapter 11. But to what shall I compare this generation... It is like the children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We have played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he is a demon. Now understand, this is an accusation against Jesus here. And the Son of Man himself came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and of sinners." Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. As Jesus came onto the scene, understand there was his accusation that he was spending time with the wrong people, with the drunkards, with the friend of tax collectors and sinners. But here's where we need to dig into Mark chapter 2 this morning because it represents a view of God and it tells us even uh, this understanding of who God the Father is. Look at Mark 2, and I want to read that here this morning to begin with. Verse 13. And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, and then he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, in our story today here, Jesus changes the life of a man named Levi. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but Levi became Matthew. So here's a tax collector becoming an apostle, a disciple, and one of those 12 disciples that was willing to die with Jesus. Just think of that today. It's kind of like an IRS person becoming a Billy Graham. <laughs> Won't go any farther there. But, but again, think of the context of this. See, Jesus is meeting more and more opposition to his preaching. And scholars believe what was happening and why he was preaching along the seashore is that he was getting less and less invitations into going into the synagogues to preach. So it was one of these times that he was preaching along the seashore and he comes by and he sees a tax collector named Levi. Now understand the tax collector really was considered one of the most hated public people in that culture. And this was a Jewish tax collector. And it was, he was considered a traitor in the eyes of, of the people of Israel. Why? He collected taxes for the enemy, for the Roman Empire. But there's also a second reputation of tax, play, uh, tax people back then, and that they had a reputation for charging far more taxes than actually the government required. So what they would do is they would charge and hold, kind of hold people like almost extortionists. They would take the money, give what the portion the government did, and then they would pocket the rest of the money for themselves. So you understand this, this Jesus looking at a tax collector and calling him out would have shocked people of that day. And then saying, come and follow me, be one of my disciples. See, but there's a key point here, and I think an application for us even out of that. And I said it this way, our God offers friendships to people that the world and the religious culture scorns. He offers to people that shouldn't have been offered to. This is a man to been, should have been avoided. See, it's a huge reminder for us. He takes people, even with the worst of reputations, and he changes them, and they become a friend of his and they follow him. But look at verse 15 here again, specifically. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So here Levi had gathered up his friends. This wouldn't have been the crowd that people would have hung with. Understand, these would have been hated people. And i got to point out one thing here. When... When people referred to sinners here, it was wider than just moral sin. See, when the Pharisees accused him of that, they would have, they would have put into the sinner category anybody who did not view their, really take on their view of how to get to God. If anybody disagreed with them in, in their religious rules and all of that stuff, they were viewed as sinners by the Pharisees. 
And so this would have included, for example, people who didn't attend the synagogue, those people kind of on the fringes who, who didn't go to church on, on Saturday, who, who didn't attend the synagogue, who didn't do the, the Jewish things, didn't do the, the rites and all of the rituals with it. Now, now, I think if we were to jump, think about, if we were to apply that today, if Jesus were here today, this group of people would be the de-churched people, the people who don't have anything to do with religion. They would have been labeled sinners in that context. But I think there's a reminder here for us when we look at ourselves and just a reminder that you know and a key point here on your notes, there's really good news for all of us. You know what? The Father sent His Son into this world to save sinners. And you know what? As we pause and recognize everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in need of being a friend of Jesus. And that's a truth that we must be reminded of. Sometimes I think we take that for granted. But let me show you another issue. Look at verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. So here is Jesus. He looks at Levi. And he knows exactly what this man is like. He was aware of his reputation. And you, and you recognize this guy wasn't the popular guy. You know what? People would have viewed him almost like a prostitute sitting out on the street. That's how they would have viewed him. And as you, as you ponder this and you go, why did he call Levi? Because there were no outward signs of, with this man that he would have had leadership potential. Do you realize that? No one is pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus, go after Levi. He's got leadership written all over him. No one was saying that. No one was saying, Jesus, you need to scoop up this guy. He's going to be a great disciple. No, this was just the opposite. They would have been telling Jesus to stay away from this guy. Jesus, you know, he knew that this man was hated. And he probably even knew his heart. And I think it would be fair to assume that Levi wasn't innocent in terms of taking money on the side and keeping it for himself. But I think there's an application here, a key issue here. And I said it this way, because of the Father's love, Jesus invites us to be his friend in spite of, in spite of whatever sin we have done, or even, even maybe struggling with right now. See, Jesus doesn't go after the good people. He doesn't go after those that don't need him. And I think it's a reminder for us how much God loves us and he knows us just like he looked at Matthew and he knew Matthew or Levi there. And I think Jesus would have looked into his eyes and there would have been something communicated where the love of Jesus would have said, he looked at Levi and said, I love you. Would you be my friend? I want to be your friend. And I think the peace to it, and I don't know about Levi here, but sometimes even in our culture, people don't feel worthy of being a friend of Jesus. 
And, and I hope that's not you today, as I'd remind you that God sees you, He notices you, He cares about you, He knows your name, He's interested in you, and He wants you to be a friend. But let me draw out another point here. Look at the end of verse 14. Go back to 14 here. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And Levi rose, and he followed him. Now, now here's where i, I got to get a little bit technical here. Because Jesus looks at him in this idea of follow me. It was an invitation to leave what? His tax booth. This was his office. The place that it was set up where people would pay taxes. And he walked away from that booth. And folks, he walked away what represented his former way of life. But let me go down this text even a little bit farther. And I want to put up, put up 17 on the screen here to give some context. Look what 17, and then Jesus heard it. He said to them, speaking to the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, a critical purpose here, and, and there's a question. Why is Jesus inviting Matthew to be a friend? Because when you stop and ponder that, Jesus doesn't need friends, really. He didn't spend time with sinners because he was lonely. And I think at times in our culture and for people in our day, and even back then, there was this place where people go, I want a friend. But the need there is to fill this hole of loneliness within us. And people's lives are falling apart, so they want someone to come up and say, would you just love me? See, that's why people want friends at times, even in our culture. But Jesus becomes a friend here, but there's a greater purpose than just filling this hole of loneliness that may have been even in Levi's heart. He would have been ostracized, understand. But that's where we need to go. Why was Jesus eating and spending time with sinners, becoming a friend of sinners. And this is why, because you love them. And Christ's love had a goal. And it was, what, what was the goal? It was this, so that they would meet his father. That they, as a friend, they would come to know the love of his father. To be his father's friend, to say it a different way. See, Jesus recognized that something was, was blocking the relationship with these sinners and his father. And, and here's where I got to push you a little bit farther here and deeper, because you know, at the end of 17, I've come to call the righteous but sinners. Here's where I, I got to add another verse here from another, the same account but from Luke chapter 5, verse 32. I want to put it on the screen here. He, Luke adds something here that's very significant. Look what it says. I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke adds the word repentance in quoting Jesus. 
See, Jesus understood one thing, that friendship with God is blocked when sin is not dealt with. And even back to the earlier verse, Levi, leave everything and follow me. Folks, this is the essence or the picture of repentance. This is a picture of repentance. See, it's it's an understanding that Jesus was with sinners, but the purpose of that friendship was to call them to leave a lifestyle that they're, they're living their lives filled with autonomy, and he wanted them to turn and to follow him and ultimately meet the father, his father. So he's saying, guys, he's telling his friends, these friends that are sinners, stop being on your own throne. Let me lead your life. Let me give you real meaning, real relationship. Would you turn and leave all that in the past and turn and follow me? See, repentance is really a couple pieces. There are a couple pieces to that word is both a change of the mind, but it's also a change and turning of our disposition and go, now I'm going to follow God. See, Jesus, as a friend, was saying, that's my purpose. I want you to know and to follow me and to follow my Father. Now, what if Matthew would have responded like this? Jesus, you've been preaching. I've been hearing it, listening to it. You know what? I repent. I'm sorry for my sins. But I don't really think that I can follow you right now and leave my tax booth. You know, this job doesn't have the benefits. There's no unemployment that I can get. And my retirement is not yet full. I got some things I have to do first, and then when it's convenient, I'll come and follow you. And you go, no. So let me give you a key point in light of that. And Levi's, the picture of Levi here. Jesus isn't inviting us to be fair weather, to a fair weather relationship. Folks, this is similar to the rich young ruler. Only he followed him. It, it really is almost identical. See, and even for us, he doesn't invite us to follow him when it's always easy. See, Jesus, he comes to the disciples and he goes to these fishermen and he says, guys, leave your boats and come and follow me. I'm going to have you change the world. And by the way, you realize as he's calling out these disciples, he's not calling out the religious elite, the ones with the most religious education. But there's actually even something I think harder here with Levi than even the fishing dudes. Do you realize for the guys that were fishing and he called them, they could have walked away from being fishermen, but they could have come right back if it didn't work out and pick up right where they left off. Levi? Nope. When he walked away, when he abandoned his office, Jesus was his final commitment. There was no looking back. There was no contingency plan. They would not have taken him back. He gave up everything to follow Christ. And because we have the rest of the story even, 
and the calling of these disciples, i got to put a key point there for you this morning. Jesus became a friend of sinners knowing that the invitation had suffering with it. This wasn't going to be an easy life for Levi, for Matthew. But just think of this scenario. A person comes up to someone wanting a friendship. You know, if you want to be a a close friend, come on with me, but leave everything. And more than likely, you're probably going to suffer. Would you take up that kind of an offer with a friend? You're going to suffer with me? I think at times many people would just ignore Jesus today if it meant that they knew that there was an abandonment like this and even to the point of suffering. But let me keep going here. Look at verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now what we find here is that you religious folks, they were repulsed by him spending time with these, quote, sinners, those people. And what they wanted to do, the Pharisees wanted to do, was actually build the walls, build the fort, walk around them, not come too close. They wouldn't walk through Samaria because they didn't want to be too close to the sinners. Uh, Let me give you the key point here on this one that we need to be reminded of. The self-righteous often look to separate themselves from people who need Christ. It's what the Pharisees did. By the way, many believe that the root word of Pharisee, there's a little debate about it, but most people believe that it's a Hebrew word that actually literally means to separate or detach. But here's the tension for us. And here's where i got to kind of come bring you to this point, is there's a tension here for us. And I want to put that on the screen even as a a verse that a lot of times people go, no, we're supposed to separate from the world. We're supposed to pull away from them. Look at what 2 Corinthians 6, Paul writes again to the church, second letter. It says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what does a portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of a living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be the sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Now, people have used this text to want to create the wall. And I believe deeply that they are misusing the meaning of the text. This is not what Paul is intending here. He was clear earlier that you never can leave the sinful people of the world. And matter of fact, if we were to separate from them, we basically have to throw away the, great, the second part of the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, and we'd have to throw away the great commission to go make disciples. But the key to understanding this text are some of those key words, for example, the word partnership and agreement. What's he saying? It says, don't be bonded with them. Don't take on their purpose in life, living apart from God. 
Don't give your souls away to the ways of this world. He's saying people in this world are trapped by their selfishness and self-love. That word separate it really then is not a physical separation, but there's a, there's a spiritual sense where it's, God, I'm separating my relationship to you. Last week we talked about the jealousy of God. We're separated because now we are the bride. And we don't give our love to that to the world out there. See, that's the context of that text there. That we are to be separate relationally. We don't give our best to the world. We stay away from getting pulled in to their stuff. We don't align ourselves to their earthly system. We have a new relationship with the Father. And as I said last week, he's jealous for us in that. But here's what I do need to add as well here. i got to remind you that it takes love and wisdom to know how to engage a sinful world and how to be an effective friend in the world where there's, there's lots of sin, there's lots of junk going on. And I believe it does take spiritual maturity and it starts with a growing relationship with God. And I think at times when Christians slide and they give themselves to the world, I go, I think most of the time they underestimated where they're at spiritually. They really weren't mature in that process. And it's a reminder, if you're a parent here, man, you need to train your children how to interact with this world you can never take them out of the world. They're going to leave home someday. You can try, but I, I'm not sure that you really want to just, when they turn 18 and they get married, that they move back in. Does anybody really want that? Do we want that? No. <laughs> but we, here's where we got to train. Even our children to interact and I think at times, parents wait for the youth pastor and the youth ministry to do the training and go, it's too late. Can I say the training that begin to interact with the world is mostly elementary and it's probably close to being set in the elementary years, not in the junior high and senior high years. Those discussions of how to be in the world and not of the world and understanding sin, I think needs to take place probably in late elementary at the very latest. But this is still true. We are to grow up spiritually. We are to be friends with people with a purpose. We are to love people with a purpose. For them to see the love of Jesus in us. And no, we don't have to fix them. But we can trust that the Holy Spirit uses us where they can begin to be a friend of Jesus. You think of what moved the Pharisees, though, to pull back. And it was that self-righteousness that comes from pride. And if that's us, we need to put that away. It's why, and look at verse 17 again. I'll just remind you of that, and this will be the last verse. And when Jesus heard, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. See, when we look out in the world out there, do we see those people? Do we see those people as needing a Savior? Needing to know that Jesus died for them, that they can be a friend of the Almighty God. That's what they need.
But let me just end it this way. Maybe there's some people in here even today, you're not sure if you're a friend of Jesus. And and my question for you is what's keeping you from turning and following him? And I would remind you of this, that he loves you. He's extending his friendship toward you. He wants you to know the love of the Father. He wants you to be a son and the daughter of his heavenly Father. And so if you've never followed that prompting of the Holy Spirit, like Levi did, and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to believe that he died for me. I would encourage you to consider it today. He died for you. He loves you. He wants to be your friend. He wants you to experience the love that he has with his father and to be a child and a son and a daughter of the king. If you've never made that decision, I'd invite you to give me a jingle call. You can come up afterward, grab Cal back there that did the announcements, There's an elder that, that you might know here. And I'd just love to talk with you about becoming a friend of Jesus. Let's stand and pray.